Thank you very much for being a part of our church service today. It is our desire here at Riverstone Church that God's Word will work in you to produce an abundant filled life. May the Lord bless you as you listen to this sermon. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much for being here and for giving. Uh, you know, I, I hope you notice what uh, has transpired this morning. And uh, you've had two brethren come uh, to the pulpit and to lead you through two aspects that are uh, important to the uh, focus of the church. And in them leading you, they have, uh, in leading us, they have taught us as well. So we have been privileged to see brothers who are capable in the word to step behind the pulpit and to teach us why we do things instead of just doing them and thinking, oh, this is just something we do, but we're taught how they are a part of the gospel. How blessed we are as a church, amen? To have people who care enough to lead us through and to help us to understand why we do things that we do as a congregation. And so I'm grateful, brethren, for you sharing this morning and leading us uh, in, in the scriptures. Uh, we're going to stand together in just a moment, and uh, if you will, turn to Acts chapter 17. We're going to read verses, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 7. We're going to read through verses 17 through 36 uh, in just a few moments. Uh, today is really the anniversary of our uh, first Sunday together one year ago out on Fish Street in the Holiday Inn. Amen. <laughs> And uh, God has been gracious to us over this last year, uh, leading us and guiding us and helping us. There are refreshments that are uh, set out and just a beautiful uh, um, board that has been prepared by uh, uh, Cora and some others in her family. Just so beautiful. Uh, and refreshments that we'll enjoy together uh, after uh, service uh, today and with the second service crowd uh, coming in hopefully a little bit uh, earlier. I've got the message this morning. As I was thinking about it, as I finished preparation, it reminded me of an old song that some of you might know. And I need you to kind of uh, focus and stay with me throughout the message. The old song went, we got a long way to go and a short time to get there, and we're going to do what they say can't be done. So I need you to stand with me. We got a ways to go here, and we got to get through this passage this morning and this text today. Don't accuse me on the context of that movie. I haven't watched it since I was about five, so <laughs> I just remembered the song. Acts chapter 7, verse 17. But as the time of the promise was approaching, which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt, until there arose another king over Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. It was he who took shrewd advantage of our race and mistreated our fathers so that they would expose their infants and they would not survive. It was at this time that Moses was born and he was lovely in the sight of God and he was nurtured three months in his, in his father's home. And after he had been set outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. Moses was educated in all of the learning of the Egyptians 
and he was a man of power in words and deeds. But when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. And he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. On the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together. And he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you injure one another? But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and the judge over us? You do not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? At this remark, Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning thorn bush. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and as he approached to look more closely, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Moses shook with fear and would not venture to look. But the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt, and I've heard their groans, and I have come down to rescue them. Come now, and I will send you to Egypt. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your grace and mercy which you have shown to us. We thank you for your kindness, O Lord, which you have poured out upon us. And we thank you, Lord, for your word, which you have given to us to teach us how to live and how to walk before you. And God, I pray by the power of your spirit that you would help me this morning to focus upon your word, to interpret it in its context. Speak it forth faithfully, O Lord, by the power of the Spirit, God, that each of us would be hearers and doers of the word. So God, we thank you today for your mercy and we thank you for your kindness and love for us. We just pray that you continue to visit us by your Spirit. Lead us through your word today. Feed to us the bread of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Facts are obvious. There's a few technical things that are happening this morning, but we're going to plow through, okay? So our focus is on the Word of God, and we are, uh, the brethren will get that settled at some point here, and we are going to continue to move through uh, without stopping, and uh, by God's grace, uh, working through His Word. Remember that uh, here in uh, this passage through the entirety of chapter 7 that it is Stephen who is uh, preaching and uh, sort of sharing this message in defense of himself for preaching the message of the cross. So he had been sharing the message of Jesus, sharing the hope of Jesus, sharing the love of Jesus. He was kind of pulled on the carpet by the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, and he's being given an 
opportunity to be able to sort of testify about why he's doing this. And the way Stephen has chosen to give a defense of himself is to reach way back into Israelite history. And essentially what he's doing now is building a case against the religious leaders and against the Israelites in general to say, you have continually rejected the plan of God over and over and over again uh, throughout your entire history. You have rejected the plan of God and your rejection of Jesus is one thing in a long line of what you have done over and over again. And here Jesus is in front of you and you should uh, accept him and receive him. And so Stephen has began, and we've gone through, uh, last week we went through uh, the story of Joseph, and he used the rejection of Joseph by his brothers to say how the patriarchs rejected the plan of God. And now we find uh, Moses, and he's using Moses, and he's going to point to the fact that Moses was also rejected by the Israelites. So what we have to get our minds around as you're reading through chapter 7 is you're really in a story within a story. You're in the story right now of Moses and uh, Moses is being called to the scene to be Israel's deliverer, but you're also within the story of Stephen who is giving this defense of himself to the religious leaders to say, I am being faithful to what God has done in history and you are actually rebelling against what God has done throughout history. And so our focus this morning is uh, going to look at what Stephen is trying to do, but also what was going on in the life of Moses and his relationship with the Israelites in the Old Testament. Our text begins this morning, but as the time of the promise was uh, approaching, there is a time that approaches for the fulfillment of God's promises. We're assured throughout this scripture and throughout many others that God had not forgotten about his promise to Abraham. That there is a time for the fulfillment, for the birth, for the coming of that promise to come on the scene. When you look at a natural childbirth, in fact, there is the time of conception. There's going to be a child that's coming at conception, there's going to be a child that is going to grow. In fact, uh, at conception, the child begins to immediately grow. The child is hidden in the mother's room. In the beginning, you can't really tell that this child is growing. You can't really even tell that there was a beginning. But sometimes as the child is growing, at least for the mother, things seem to get worse. There's that tiredness and that sickness and other things that come along in that first trimester. There is this growth and change in the body. There is the feeling of movement within the womb. And all of that is pointing to the fulfillment of what has been going on hidden within inside the mother. The promises of God many times in our life have already been conceived, but at times the feeling of stretching and sometimes sickness is that growth that happens before the full revelation of what God is doing. But there is a time where the promise will be fulfilled. And as the fulfillment 
draws near what we see in the life of Joseph, what we see in the life of Moses, and what we often see in our life, that when God begins to fulfill, when God begins to bring to pass, when it begins to be fully revealed, what we see in the life of Moses is that circumstances didn't get better, but they actually turned sour. They got more difficult. The word says that Pharaoh did not know Joseph or the Israelites And they felt threatened by the Israelites. They felt threatened by this growing nation. And Pharaoh began oppressing the people. He made them work hard. And you think about in terms of working hard, it was more work and more work and more work. And think about the burden, particularly of the elderly as they would age and the burden of work. And so Pharaoh didn't care if they would die under the heavy burdens. In fact, that was to his advantage. Get rid of them. Because only those that produce were valued. Stephen recounts and says that Pharaoh made the Israelites expose their infants. Not only was there this burden of work that would have exhausted the aged, But there was also this attack on the young, that there was this push or pressure to expose the infants, a a law, in fact, to terminate the next generation. That word expose can mean abandon, to terminate, left in the elements to die, so that there would be no generation to follow the Israelites who were under the labor of, the forced labor of the Egyptians. I think there's several applications that we could make with the scriptures here. And part of seeking to preach faithfully is to, one, observe what the text says. When you open your Bibles and you're reading through the text of scripture, what you want to try to first do is to look. What does the Bible say? We come to the Bible with a lot of preconceived notions, and sometimes if we just try to put that on the back burner and read God's word for what it is, we get some great revelations. Observe what the text says. And then we can begin, after we've made that observation, to begin to to interpret that. So in this case, we're observing that the Israelites were compelled to leave their infants out to die and to interpret that observation that the, the state, Egypt, the government had a vested interest in the death of certain ethnic and religious people. And then as we seek in our day to apply that particular text, I want to make a few principles that I think are appropriate. I think there is a concerted, focused effort that there would be no next generation of Christ followers. That shouldn't be news on a billboard for you, but I believe it is truth. That in our day, there is a concerted, focused effort that there would be no next generation of Christ followers. The enemy has changed his tactics from time to time, but I believe in what we are seeing in our day, the primary focus of the attack on the next generation or to expose them is particularly on this issue of gender and sexuality. And as I read through the scriptures and I seek to understand the scriptures, 
What I come to understand right from the very beginning is that gender is determined biologically and is determined at conception. Biologically and at conception. It's not based on feelings or urges. It is based on biology. And God desires that we would live and act according to our biological gender. So why would the enemy seek to attack people's sense of gender, thinking about the idea in Egypt of the state requiring the infants to be exposed or left out to die? Right now, about one in six individuals in the 18 to 23-year-old age group identify in the LGBT mindset. One in six. One in six. So when you look at that, the attack is against childbearing and childrearing because there can be no natural sense of childbearing and childrearing in this mindset. We will be gracious. We're going to be kind. We're going to welcome people who are seeking after the Lord and struggling. We're going to welcome them in this church, and we should say amen to that. We're going to help. We're going to reach the broken and the downtrodden and those who hurt. But we also must understand that there is an attack right now against the creation mandate. God created them male and female in Genesis 1.27. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply in Genesis 1 and 28. And our political system wants us to expose our children and let them embrace a mindset so that there will not be a Christian next generation. sat in sessions this week with other brothers and sisters about what is going on in the governmental realm to push this agenda and force this agenda. And you should be aware, we should all be aware, but not for the purpose of, as uh, Tom mentioned, not for the purpose of fear, not for the purpose to cower in fear, but for the purpose of prayer. Where people will say, well, I was born this way. And that is an attack of the enemy as well that says you should act and be encouraged to act on every urge that you have. I don't care what, uh, what type of uh, sin you're going to embrace. All of us have sinful urges that have to be covered under the blood of Jesus. We have to be at a place where each and every one of us says, I was born in iniquity and sin. And but for the grace of Jesus, am I able to live faithfully before him? Yes, we have to have compassion, but we also must work to rescue them, even as the government seeks to penalize those of us who desire to help. Gone are the days where this idea of your religion is here and government is here and there's no sort of rub against the two. You have to understand that. We're entering into a new day. And the beauty of this is that God has called you and me to exist in this time. And the, the glory of what God does in these times where the promise is going to be fulfilled, where we're looking to this promise of 
of the Lord's return and things are kind of turning sour and we're wondering what's going on in the world is that you and I, as the warriors in the church, are called to take up the arms of prayer. We're called to join together like never before and seek the Lord. There are other ways that the enemy is seeking to attack this generation, but I believe that this is one of the, those that is in the forefront. And what we must realize and come to understand is that masculinity and femininity must be rooted in our understanding of the scriptures. We must be a people who live and dwell by the book. The Egyptian rulers knew that if they could stop the next generation of Israelites, they could continue to rule unhindered. And if our political leaders can stop the next generation of Christians, they too can just continue to acquire power unhindered. Right now in our state of Virginia, you may or may not know, uh, we are one of the most liberal states in the union on this issue. There are few legal protections, even for churches who embrace a biblical view of sexuality. The Equality Act that's being debated right now in the U.S. Congress expressly prohibits any exclusions to compliance of this new genderless society based on one's religion. You will comply, is the government's desire. Now, if you want to sit in here and you talk among yourselves about your view, fine. But when you walk out that door, shut up. It's okay to be religious here. It's not okay to be religious out there. And that we will not comply. Oh, I was so excited when I spoke on the phone with my brother yesterday and he talked about what was going on in Hearthwood with some of our kids gathering together with kids in that neighborhood and playing soccer and people sharing the gospel door to door and witnessing to those of different faith and sharing to them how Jesus can touch them and then a group going and riding over to Stanton and beginning to work some neighborhoods over there as well, praying that the love of Jesus would be manifest in people's lives. Oh, that God would help us. That is something that we will not stop. As a political system of Egypt tried to decimate the Jewish population, the Jewish people cried out to God. They groaned under their burden. They cried out to him. And this is where you and I must also cry out. Yes, there are those who are called to operate in the political sphere, but the church itself is called to cry out to God. The church itself is called to band together and to seek him earnestly, to cry out to him for a change and for his intervention and for his coming. We see in this text, as Stephen is sharing it, as a time of fulfillment of the promise drew near that God provided and prepared a deliverer. Unbeknownst to those who needed deliverance, God had provided Moses. God didn't announce to the Israelite population to say, hey, there's this baby and he's in Pharaoh's court and he's kind of going to be growing up there and he's eventually going to be your deliverer. Unbeknownst to those who were groaning and crying out, God was working secretly but in the open. 
They didn't know it, but here Moses is in Pharaoh's court. Interesting, as I thought about this, Moses was being prepared by the people whom he would deliver the Israelites from. In essence, the very people who were their enemies were the people that God was using in their midst. They were helping prepare him for the future deliverance of those they didn't want to let go. As I thought about that, I thought, you know, sometimes the focus of our greatest struggle is often the, the anvil that molds our destiny. God used Egypt to prepare his people and their deliverer, and God can use you and your struggle or the challenge that you're facing to prepare, prepare you for your destiny in him. The time of the promise drew near. God had revealed Moses' calling to him, but the Israelites rejected it. You look at verse 23, and it says, But when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And then he saw, verse 24, one of them being treated unjustly, and he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. Verse 25, and he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. Moses supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. Moses had some sense of calling even at that point before the burning bush experience. He had some sense of understanding that I'm being raised up to be a deliverer even before God met him at the burning bush. And he sought somehow to begin to fulfill that calling, but those whom he was trying to help rejected him. And that's the point of Stephen's message. Here there was a deliverer trying to deliver you, and you rejected him. Moses sought to fulfill his calling, and the very people who he was trying to help completely and totally rejected him. I think oftentimes in our life there comes a season of crisis where you find that it is just you and the Lord. You enter into this crisis, and it's, kind of, it's a moment where it is just you and the Lord. And you have to decide whether you're going to follow him or you're going to turn and run. Moses was rejected, and while he thought he was running away from the Lord, he was actually running into God's plan. The time of fulfillment of the promise drew near. Moses found himself in a crisis moment. His life was sought, and essentially God hid him away in Midian. The promise wasn't crushed, even though at that moment the Israelites weren't delivered. But the promise continued to grow. In your life, where there is this beginning of fulfillment, there is also a time of growth of the promise. What God has spoken to you, what God is calling you to do, there is this time of growth. In verse 29, which is really recounted in Exodus uh, chapter 2, starting at verse 15, Moses fled into the wilderness and became a shepherd. 
Now, you read through the Old Testament account, what you find is shepherds were hated in Egypt. Egyptians didn't like shepherds. The, the word says that they were loathsome in the sight of the Egyptians. And so Moses, who was in Pharaoh's court, now finds himself doing what he had been taught was hated and loathsome. But being a shepherd of sheep helped to prepare him to be a leader of God's people. Often we see in the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, how often God, God calls us sheep. Study sheep and you'll find out why. Moses had a change in status from someone in Pharaoh's court to someone who was hated by Pharaoh's court. But a change in status is not always quite a delay in the promise. A change in status is often a step in development. During this time, Moses became a family man. He became a leader. He learned how to be nomadic, kind of wandering around, coming handy later on, won't it? All qualities that would be needed in the next assignment as Israel's deliverer. But think what must have been going through Moses' mind from his point of view. He was now permanently separated both from what he regarded as, as his homeland, which was Egypt, and also from the people he now identified as his own, which were the Israelites. The spiritual challenge that was going on in his mind, he was a failure as a deliverer of his people, a failure as a citizen of Egypt, unwelcome among either of the nations that he might have called his own, a wanted man, a now permanent resident of an obscure place, alone and far from his origins, and among people of a different religion. He was called to be a deliverer, but his circumstances would have led no one to believe his calling. Sometimes the growth of God's promise to you might look like failure and collapse. What God's calling you to do, what God's speaking in your life, it might seem like an impossibility. Moses even named his kid Gershom. Gershom. You know what that word Gershom means? It means an alien there. So Moses named his kid an alien there, meaning I'm an alien in Midian. Now imagine being so frustrated with your existence in life that you name your kid alien. It's time of growth and development, time of learning and understanding. When God has spoken a promise, has been faithful to develop that promise in us. You will also be faithful to fully realize that promise. The Bible says in verses 30 and 34, after 40 years have passed, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt, and I've heard their groans. The children of Israel groaned and cried out because of their burdens, and their burdens finally pushed them to pray for deliverance. The things that you're going through this morning, the challenges that you're facing, the things that you're crying out to God about, what you are longing after him for, where your focus is, where your desire is for God to do something in your life, that thing that you're crying out for him to take, that is a place where the Lord is teaching you to pray and to earnestly seek him. As a church, we want to learn the place of prayer among God's people. 
It has been an essential part of who we are as of our formation over a church over the last year. Exodus 2 and 24, talking about the children of Israel, it says, so God heard their groanings and God remembered his covenant. When you and I see our own personal situation and the challenges that we may be facing, and we also look at the world situation and what the world is facing, it ought to cause us to cry out to God, to remember his promises. We ought to remind him of his promises for us. Search the scriptures and say, Oh Lord Jesus, you said you would return again. Come, Lord Jesus. God does not forget his promises, but our prayers focus us on God's plan. In fact, the exodus from Egypt did not come about simply because people were in trouble. It was the result of the prayer of lament for rescue to the only one who could actually do something about it. There's only one person who can lift your burden. There's only one person who can truly change your situation, who can work in Uh, your life on your behalf, who can turn and change this world. There's only one person who can bring, bring a revival in our day, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we ought to earnestly seek him about it. Jesus taught us that while God knows all of our needs, we nevertheless must be a people who pray for his direct intervention into our life. The Israelites moved into the promised land through times of through their times of deep, intense, and emotional prayer for God's deliverance. We can't be comfortable here. You know, that's really the challenge sometimes, isn't it? It's gonna be okay. I don't have to worry about it. I can go kind of along, living my life, doing my thing. I'm just happy to be here. I'm comfortable. There's no urgency for us to pray. But if we were to look around this sanctuary this morning, we were to ask those who are maybe you know, 18, 19, or under to stand as we have done in times past, we ought to look them in the eye and feel the sense of urgency. And when we look them in the eye and feel that sense of urgency, it ought to drive us to prayer for God's move upon our earth, that there would be a revival in our day, that even among these, there would be ones who are so steadfast in his word, who are so focused on his word, that there would be no temptation to leave and go to the right hand or to the left, but to stay in the place that God has called them to be. Continue in the story, we see that God spoke to Moses while he was alone through a burning bush, a single bush on a hillside without anyone else was on fire. Instead of burning up, it burned on and on, and Moses certainly would have been attracted to it and chose to understand it by getting a little closer. God used a burning bush, and in your life, he uses all sorts of different circumstances to bring you closer to himself. Often when we find ourselves in unfamiliar circumstances, there are the times when God is graciously drawing us to himself. 
Where do you find yourself in this season of time? I think as a world, God is speaking to us. As a church, God is speaking to us in this time where everything is sort of up in the air and we wonder when will it ever come back to normal again. And I'm of the opinion at this point, it's never going to get back to what we perceived as normal before. It's never going to move back to that moment again. Yes, the mask may come off and people may be able to fellowship again, but the world has radically changed. And this circumstance in which you and I find ourselves in is where God is calling us to be closer to him. What the enemy has tried to do by separating and pulling apart, God is saying, come to me. Seek me, long after me, because these unfamiliar circumstances are often God's gracious means to draw us to himself. Moses comes out of the wilderness to the moment of deliverance. You can see that during his time in the wilderness, Moses' identification with the Jews was so strong that he was willing to serve as this shepherd, an assignment that no one who still thought of himself as an Egyptian would have taken on. Being a shepherd, again, was hated among the Egyptians. It was apparent that if he were to ever go back to Egypt, he would go as an Israelite and not as an Egyptian. See, those, those movements through these challenges of life that you experience, that you and I go through, what we refer to in the past sometimes as these dark nights of the soul, as you work through those moments, who you were on the other side is not who you are now because you have gone through a moment and you have seen God at work, you have seen his favor, you have seen his strength, you have seen his power. In the moment of your greatest weakness, you have seen the glory of God and God speaks to you and no longer do you want to identify with who you were. You want to run into the arms of the Lord. I believe that's the true distinction of the believer and how we tell if we're in the faith is are our affections set on Jesus? Have we truly left Egypt behind? Is Egypt really back here? And now our only longing is what is ahead over here. The scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. When we've tasted and we have seen that the Lord is good, how can we go back to Egypt? When Moses had seen the grace of God and he had heard the voice of God in the bush that would not burn, how could he go back to Egypt as an Egyptian? Though he was raised as an Egyptian, though he was raised in Pharaoh's court, though he had the wealth of Egypt at his disposal, he rejected all of it in order to identify with the plan of God. Hebrews 11 and 24 says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God, with the people of God, that to enjoy the temporary pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking to a greater reward. And that is where you and I have to find ourselves in this moment today. We are looking to something greater than this world can offer. 
We're looking to something better, more special, greater than what we can ever be offered here. And I think there are times in our life, and maybe this is you today, where you need to reject some things in order to set your mind upon better things. Maybe there's things in your life that you've kind of been circling around, and it's time today, today, today to make the decision to reject those things in order that you can set your focus upon better things. There is a time for fulfillment of the promise of God in your life and in the life of his church. The growth of that promise sometimes takes us in an unexpected journey, but God is faithful that it would come to pass. The fact that your life takes unexpected turns is often a sign that God is at work and it is a means to call us to prayer so that we do not rely on ourselves. As we bring this message to a close, Maybe today you are in your wilderness. Maybe you've had good experience in the past, but now in your life things seem to be upside down. Maybe you sense God wants to do something in your life that is different, but you feel removed from God and his people. You feel like maybe you're doing things that have nothing to do with the promise that God has spoken to you. You're like Moses and Midian tending sheep. From your point of view, God's plan is an impossibility. You feel like that today? God's spoken something in your life. God's encouraging you with something. Maybe it was way back there. Maybe it was 40 years ago. God spoke something. You've left it. You've kind of been wandering around for a while. It seems like at this point in your life, it's just an impossibility. There is no way this comes together. There is no way I can step into that destiny, which I once thought God had called me to. I'm going to ask you to stand today, and we're going to, we're going to come for prayer. I'm going to ask those who are willing to pray to just uh, come and stand here at the front. If you're willing to pray with others, just be prepared. Maybe today you've kind of seen the burning bush. Maybe you, you're at the end of your journey in the wilderness. You know the plan. You know the purpose. Kind of know that there is a destiny that's sort of out there that's coming about, but maybe it's not quite taking the shape that you would hope that it would take or that you desire that it would take. I want to invite you as well to come and to pray. The beauty of the move of the Spirit is that even in moments where it is quiet or it is different and unique, God is able to speak, is he not? So let's take some time today and let's pray and let's seek the Lord together. Let's ask him to visit us. If you need prayer this morning, you're at an impasse, you're at a moment where you need God's intervention in your life or you need his direction. Maybe the burden has gotten so difficult you don't know what to do. This is the time to cry out to him. And we're just going to invite you to pray in these next few moments. And by his grace, God would speak to you.
Heavenly Father, we see in the life of Moses and the life of Stephen, Lord, we see this moments where you speak to us, where you call us, Lord, and in the beginning, it's often joy and grace that is there, Lord. God, then like Stephen, like Moses, there is a season of difficulty. Stephen was called to account before the religious leaders. Moses, fleeing in the wilderness. Wondering, how can this ever come to pass? God, you spoke to me about being delivered, but it didn't work out. I failed. How's it going to come back around again? God, I believe by your grace that you are able to equip us, to help us. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your favor today. And I pray, God, that if nothing else, Lord, that today people would grasp the need for us to be focused in prayer together. God, that we would cry out to you on behalf of our uh, next generation, on behalf, Lord, of our country and our church, oh God, that we would cry out to you, oh God. God, that we would be moved to prayer, that like the Israelites who groaned and cried out under the burden, oh Lord Jesus, move upon us, God, to see that this is not normal. This is not your plan. That this world is broken, oh God. And your church should be moved not just to lethargy, to sit back and to kind of let it come to pass, but we should be moved to prayer, oh God. We should be moved, oh Lord Jesus, to seek you and to long after you, to pray, oh come, Lord Jesus, rescue us, oh God. That we would not see in our mind a sense of normalcy in what is going around, God, but we would realize, God, how the darkness is seeking to cover, O oh Lord. Compel us, O oh God, to pray. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy and kindness. We thank you for your grace this day, O oh Lord. We just exalt in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for being here, Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, as we look to you. We thank you. We praise you. In the name of Jesus, I ask it. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord this morning. The Lord be with you as you go in the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you again for being a part of Riverstone Church. I hope you enjoyed today's message and that it encouraged you to take a step closer to Jesus. Please reach out to us if there is anything we can pray for or talk with you about. To get more information about Riverstone Church, you can visit riverstonechurch.net. God bless you this week, and may you walk in all of Christ's promises and plans for your life.